see Raina up here next to me. The next time you see Raina, she'll be a married woman. I would say so pray extra hard, but that would not be nice, would it? <laughs> that would not be nice. But congratulations. One week from today, it's her wedding day, so we celebrate and rejoice with her and Andrew. So you are the guys that couldn't get Chiefs tickets today, huh? All right, so let's do church. Praise the Lord. Pastors always hate it when you wake up and it's raining or it's a Chiefs home game, you know. <coughs> I appreciate your prayers. I've, I've been uh, battling a, a little bit of pneumonia. I've been on antibiotics all week, so I should not be contagious. So you can shake my hand. But if you don't want to, I'll certainly understand if you want to wait another another week or so. Those of you who have had those kind of things, you know it kind of leaves you weak. So I'll do my best not to let that uh, interfere with the uh, proclamation of the Word today. I want to begin a bold new series. Amen? A bold new series. The Biblical Woman. And what man would dare venture out on this subject and talk about what it is to be a biblical woman. So what I'm really going to do is um, try to tell you what the Bible says that the biblical woman should be. I will refrain from using personal opinions. And all the women said, they said amen. You guys. Uh, <clears throat> I continue to believe, call me what you will, but that men and women are not just anatomically different. We're different in almost every way. And they all said, amen, or fundamentally. In fact, the only passage I have ever really struggled with is that passage in Genesis that says God made man and woman compatible with each other. I wonder, did he really do that? You know, we are, we are so different. But I want to tell you today, I do believe that men and women are fundamentally different. And I think that that is causing a great deal of stress in our culture because some people think when we say men and women are different that we're saying that men and women are not of equal value. And we are not saying that. Amen? We are not saying that different equals different value. In fact, the ultimate value of a person is, is absolutely equal in the mind of God, whether that be male or female. Let me read Galatians 3:26-29. You are all sons of God, and I think that you could read that children of God, through faith in, faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, in other words, there's no race. There's neither slave nor free. Now get this, male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Now that doesn't mean that we are not different. It means that we do not have different value. We are all children of God. If you're a male or a female, you're equally valuable. 
God loves his sons and daughters equally the same. Amen? Amen. That, that's what that, that passage means there. Now, there are some things I need to tell you in order for what I'm going to talk about to make sense. Now, you notice you've got a lot of notes in your sermon section. Have you noticed that? I don't know if I'll cover those today, and they all said kicks. They all said kick off at noon. All right, <clears throat> but so we can't get everything. But I want to give you, I think, about four things that I think you have to know to understand the biblical woman. And uh, so maybe if you can find some place to scribble these down or something, it might help you. Number one, the Bible was written in a cultural context that oppressed women. The Bible was written in a cultural context that oppressed women. Women were little more than property in biblical culture. Not in the Bible, but in biblical culture. And for you to understand what the Bible is saying, you have to understand it is written in a context where women were being oppressed. And it is addressing and dealing with that reality. Secondly, the Bible's focus is transforming hearts rather than reforming deeds. The Bible's focus is on transforming hearts rather than reforming deeds. What that means is that God goes to the heart of the matter. He deals with the specifics of what's going on in the heart of men. And when God can fix the heart, the deeds will take care of themselves. You know, some people get all excited because the Bible, they say, the Bible doesn't speak enough against slavery. I say the Bible was written in the context where slavery was everywhere, and it wasn't a racial thing. There were people of all races in slavery in biblical culture, but when Paul wrote to Philemon and said, your slave is your brother, he undermined it at the heart level. You can no longer treat him like a slave. He is your brother in Christ. That overhauls it from the inside out. And so the Bible deals with the oppression of women in a way that attacks the heart of the problem. It doesn't focus on the deed. It focuses on the heart that would oppress a woman, a daughter of God. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Number three, the Holy Spirit's Spirit speaks effectively to every culture. The Spirit speaks effectively to every culture. If you and I gathered up a group of us and we went to Saudi Arabia and we were going to be missionaries there, we would have to dress so that the culture would not be scandalized by us. And that means your women would have a little window you'd look out of. You know. In order to be effective, you'd have to join that culture to the extent of getting a chance to talk to that culture about Jesus. And number four... I believe the New Testament elevated women in defiance of its culture. The New Testament defied its culture and elevated women in spite of what the culture believed. Now, if you can kind of lay those as a foundation, I want to begin today, I want to begin this series dealing with what I can consider to be the 500-pound gorilla in the room. <laughs> The, the big problem, and you need to understand this. What I'm going to tell you today, you really need to understand it. Because if you don't understand it, you will not be able to defend the gospel. You'll not be able to defend the New Testament. So you've got to understand this. So the first thing we're going to do is deal with those problematic passages 
that people say, see, look, the Bible has got real problems and look what it says about women. So we're going to look at those passages and I'm going to tell you what I think they believe uh, they say in context so that you then will be able to say, well, when the Bible said this, this is the meaning, this is the situation. Let's deal with the first problematic verses. And I want to talk about uh, the female spiritual leadership. Is it biblical for a woman to operate in spiritual authority, in spiritual leadership? Now, I must admit here that a lot of my evangelical friends say no. The largest evangelical denomination in the, in the United States is the Southern Baptists. They absolutely refuse to embrace the idea that women will have a leadership role if men are present. But my fellowship, the fellowship that has ordained me, the fellowship that I've been with for all these decades, the Assemblies of God, we have been ordaining women since 1914. See, we didn't start doing it when it became culturally acceptable. We started it from day one. We said we believe in female spiritual leadership from the beginning. And a lot of the, in fact, the entire church world at that time turned on us and said, you guys are compromising the Bible. And so I want to respond to that to say, we didn't start doing this because all of a sudden culture's on our side. We started doing this because we saw things differently from the very beginning. Now let's, let's get to the problematic verses. Amen. The problematic verses. Let's take the bull by the horn. First problematic verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Paul said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to usurp authority over a man. She must be silent. And all the women said, <coughs> what'd they say? That's a problem, isn't it? Our evangelical friends have been hitting us with that one. Well, you know, Paul told Timothy to be quiet in church. So tell the women to be quiet in church. For me, when I look at this passage in context, both in the context of Timothy and the context of the New Testament, because my understanding of the Bible is that it cannot contradict itself. It all fits together. There is that word, I do not uh, permit a woman to teach, usurping authority over a man. To me, that word usurping is the qualifier. Usurping. That's not what you do to a pancake before you eat it. usurp it I told myself I wasn't going to use that joke again but I, I just couldn't resist it it comes from a Greek word authentao auto means self the other word means job or employment or work the word auto self Think of the word automobile. It, the word automobile simply means something that moves by itself. Automobile. It is self-mobile. And so what he's saying here is that, can we be real? Paul is saying to Timothy, 
there are some women, and Paul dealt with them throughout the book of Corinthians, if you look at it. There are some women who have self-appointed themselves to positions of authority, and I don't allow that. They have self-appointed themselves to positions of authority, and that's a problem. And it's not just a problem when women self-appoint themselves. It's a problem when men self-appoint themselves. But if you read the book of Corinthians, Paul is kind of locked in a battle with a group of women in that church. He's saying, I don't allow this to happen. You see, in the realm of spiritual things, listen very carefully, in the realm of spiritual things, the flow of authority is so critical because it is also the flow of power. Come on. The flow of authority is so important because it's also the flow of power. So when God's authority is flowing to me, His power is also flowing to me. That's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go therefore into all the world. He's saying, I've got the authority, now you've got the power. If you are in my authority, you are in my power. Now, if you break my authority, you break the flow of power into your life. So, ladies, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, to me is saying, be careful that you do not self-appoint yourself to positions of authority that God did not give you. It is the usurping of authority. Remember in James chapter 4, verse 7, he said, Submit yourself to the Lord, that's authority, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If you do not resist, if you do not submit yourself to the Lord, you can resist the devil all day long, but you have no power. But it's in your submission to the Lord that you get power to put the devil to flight. It is in that submission that the power flows. So... Be careful of usurping of authority. Be careful of self-appointment. You operate every day in the realm of authority, probably. Some of you go to work. You get into a building because you've been authorized to go there. Maybe you have a code. Maybe you have a key. But there's something that authorizes you to enter that building. If I went walking in there and tried to do what you do, they'd call the cops. But you have been authorized to go there. Authority is flowing into your life to do those things. Some years ago, right here, the church gathered together on a Sunday evening. And said, we recognize that Pastor Jeff and Vivian are not just called to be pastors, but they're called to pastor here. So authority began to flow from God to the church to the office of pastor. See how that works? And then as we begin to appoint leadership to work with us, that authority flows to that leadership. See? And so that flow of, of leadership is going out from God to the church to, to the various leaders. 
Let me tell you something about usurping. Are you ready? When you are tempted to usurp, and most of us will be at some time, I can remember a time setting in a situation where I wanted to usurp so bad. I was in a meeting that needed to move along, and it was dragging. So when I was given the floor to give a committee report, I took over. I started passing resolutions and working this business meeting through, and all of a sudden the person who was the real leader said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I realized then that I had usurped some authority uh, that, that didn't legitimately belong to me. When you begin to self-appoint, this is what happens. First of all, you begin to disqualify your leader in your mind. You begin to disqualify. There is a leader that is in a chain of command, that is in a flow of, of authority, and when you begin to usurp, you begin to disqualify that leader in your mind. You begin to think, I don't know if he's really qualified. I don't know if she's really qualified. I don't know if she's praying or he's praying. So first of all, you begin to disqualify the leader. It's the first step in you usurping that leader's authority. And then you begin to disappoint that leader. And I don't mean disappoint in the typical word. You begin to unappoint that leader and decide that leader is not spiritual enough, not smart enough. They don't know as much as I know. They don't walk as close to God as I do. They're not hearing the Holy Spirit as clearly as I'm hearing. So we are unappointing that leader and self-appointing ourselves. See? And we're in the process then of usurping authority. We assume we know more than that leader. Our hearts begin to get offended at that leader. And we begin to get critical of that leader and instead of praying, God, this leader has got problems, instead we begin to figure out ways to sabotage that leader. And then we start finding ways to circumvent that leader. How do I get around that leader? And eventually we outright oppose that leader. And at that point we are in full-blown spiritual rebellion, and we may not even realize it. We are in full-blown spiritual rebellion, and we may not even realize it. But look, when you break the chain of authority, you break the flow of power. Remember the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19? They are by trade, exorcists. You know what exorcists do? Cast out demons. That's what they do. So, uh, they actually found a guy who was literally demon-possessed. See, that's the trouble with playing with this stuff. Eventually, you find the real thing. And remember, they came to this demon-possessed guy, and they said... We command you in the name of Jesus that Paul talks about to come out of him. You see how there is no chain of authority coming to them? And if there's no chain of authority, then what else is there not? There's no power. 
the Bible says the demon spoke and said, We know Jesus, and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And the Bible says that he leaped on those seven men and stripped them naked and beat them to a pulp, and they went running out into the street naked and bleeding because they attempted to use authority when it had been cut off. There, had been, there was no chain of co- a command going to them. So watch this. Revelation chapter 2. I have this against you. And he's talking to the pastor of the church at Thyatira. I have this against you. It's a singular you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. What is that? That is self-appointment. She calls herself a prophetess. So she's taken a group of people within this church and she's sort of pulled them out from the rest of the body and she has appointed herself as prophetess over them. And what did she do with this self-appointment? By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. She took her self-appointment. She did exactly what Paul told Timothy not to let the women do. She appointed herself prophetess and uses that illegitimate office to seduce the servants of God and lead them into adultery. Now, that's what it means. They all said, Why do I believe that women can function in legitimate spiritual leadership because I see it in Scripture. Let's just say that there were a group of women over here. And, and they were cutting up and talking. They're not really, you know. Donna, don't get, don't get offended. It's only Ethel here for me to pick on. I always have a good time picking on Ethel. And uh, I said... Uh, Hey, ladies, I need you to be quiet in church. Now, would that mean you could never talk in church ever again? What it would mean is stop that kind of talk. Watch, watch how um, Acts 18 deals with something here. A Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a learned man in with thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, he didn't know the death, burial, and resurrection, and the ascension. He didn't know that. He had come only to the baptism. He didn't know how the story ended. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and then the Scripture says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with your Bible, but this should stop you in your tracks. When Priscilla heard him, 
Who is she? She's the wife of Aquila. Yet she's mentioned first. That's very countercultural. Most of the men of the Bible, we don't even know their wives' names. We know Peter had a mother-in-law. We don't even know his wife's name. Don't know anything about her. We know that he ta- talks a little bit about her, or Paul talks a little bit about, about Peter's family in, in, in Corinthians chapter 9. But here you have someone who is actually called by name, Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila heard it. They invited him to their home. And if you cross-reference this to Romans 16 and there just a little bit, it wasn't just a home, it was a house church. And explain to him the way of God more accurately. Appears to me that Priscilla is the dominant spiritual leader in that situation. She takes a great man of God, Apollos. They bring him into their home and they teach him the full truth about Jesus Christ. Proving to me that God uses women to teach men. Hello? God uses women to teach men. Almost never would the wife's name be mentioned in this culture, and here it is. Here's another problematic passage. you have time for it? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's, let's move these out of the way so we can get on to some more fun stuff. Um, he said, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. There's another problem, isn't it? What a problem passage. Today we're dealing with problem passages. And again, I think to understand this, you have to understand something about the early church. It was patterned after the synagogue. And in the synagogue, you do not come to church with your significant other and sit together. There was a place for the men and a place for the women. And it was considered terribly inappropriate for a woman or a man to address the opposite sex. So if you're sitting in the synagogue and there's a Bible study going on and you're a woman and the teacher's a man, you don't get up and say, will you explain that a little bit better? You ask your husband, will you tell him to explain that? Because it's not appropriate for you to speak directly to a man in this culture. So what I believe was going on is you had the men on one side, the women on the other side. I've stood in the synagogue at Capernaum and I I stood there kind of looking at the structure, the very synagogue where Jesus taught and and it looked as if the women would have been sitting just above the men would be down on the main floor. You can imagine her saying, hey, Bill, what did he mean by that? And Bill say, I think he meant. And you've got this mass confusion in the church during what should have been a, a service that is done properly and in order. So when Paul is saying women... Be quiet in church. He's saying, do not be disruptive with your conversations in church. Some of you do it even now. You start passing pictures around and talking about last night, this or that. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. 
start talking about what you're going to do for lunch. You you know, I I think that is what he's talking about. Why do I think that? Because we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Same letter, same book. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? When I was uh, in Israel back in March, I I went to the Wailing Wall. And uh, I had a bunch of prayer requests that I stuck in the cracks of the wall, you know. I thought it was kind of neat. If you're a part of this church family, your your name's probably stuck in the wailing wall. Uh, and um, they, uh, I understand they, when those requests fall out, they gather them up. Someone does and takes them to Mount Calvary and buries them. That's a great. So I, I wanted to. But when I I got to the uh, wailing wall, before I could go up and touch it, um, they insisted that I not do that. Unless they give me, gave me a little hat to put on my head, you know, which are called what? Kip, yeah, that, yeah. I brought it home as a, as a souvenir. It's a cultural thing. In the culture of the New Testament, for a woman to go out in public with her head uncovered was basically her saying, I am a loose woman. So when Paul said, when you go to church, cover your head. Don't go into church looking like a Jezebel. I mean, how many of you were tempted to put on your bikini to come to church this morning? No, we would all be very uncomfortable if you did. You know, it would be inappropriate. And that's kind of the thing going on here. It would be inappropriate for you to come into church this way. Now, here's the point I want to make. Why would Paul say in chapter 14, women keep absolute quiet? And in chapter 11, say, women, when you pray and prophesy in the assembly, make sure your head's covered. Why would he tell you how to do it, ladies? And three chapters later, tell you, don't do it. It's very clear to me that he's saying in chapter 14, which is a chapter on crazy stuff going on in church. The church was a free-for-all. He said, I need you guys to stop just everybody talking at once and say something that makes sense. And in that context, he says to the women, you guys got to be quiet. See? Uh just three chapters earlier, he said, ladies, when you pray or when you prophesy, which is to speak from the heart of God, have your head covered. Do it in a way that honors your God and honors your husband. Don't do it in a way that makes it look like you're in rebellion to the authority that is over you. Female silence in the church, in my opinion, does not extend to legitimate 
words being spoken. When I said, when he said, women, be quiet in church, he was not saying, you can't prophesy. He's already told them they can. He didn't say you can't pray. He's already told them how to. He's saying, when you're in church, do not speak inappropriately out of turn. You guys all right? So let's do this real quickly. Second point, female proclamations. Female proclamations. In other words, it was so countercultural, and yet Jesus did it anyway. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 28, Then leaving the jar of water, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who, who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Why did God use a woman to rally people to him in Samaria? Matthew chapter 28. The angel of the Lord spoke to the women, do not be afraid. And it was the women who left the tomb on that first Easter morning and said, he's alive. He's alive. Why did God choose women to do that? We know that Priscilla expounded on the gospel. We've talked about this. Is when we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, one of the seven, the seven deacons from Acts 6, he had four daughters who prophesied. And there's no debate about that. He just said, when we got to Philip's house, he had these four unmarried daughters who are full of the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied. Let's be clear about what prophecy is. Anytime someone speaks from the heart of God, that is prophecy. Whether it's about the past, the present, the future, it is prophecy. And the Bible doesn't say they were prophesying and I told them to shut up. It said they were prophesying. And then he just moves on with the story. So we find in the New Testament female proclamations. Why we believe in it. There was female infilling. Go back to the Old Testament, Miriam. Called a prophetess. Exodus 15. Deborah. Judges 4. Called a prophetess. Huldah. And Second Kings 22 was called a prophetess. I wonder if I can get this one right. Neodiah, Nehemiah was called a prophetess. Isaiah referred to his wife as a prophetess. I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. In the New Testament, in the book of Luke, it says there was a prophetess named Anna. And then look at this. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. you got to get this. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Not just your sons. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Man, that is counterculture, folks. That did not fit in that culture. When Peter stood up and said that, that would have made people go, What? Women? Females? Are going to be prophesying? 
watch when the church is gathering together about to be anointed into the new church acts chapter one when they had entered they went up into the upper room where they were staying peter james john andrew philip thomas bartholomew matthew james simon the zealot and judas not judas iscariot by the way all these were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer now notice what luke takes time to mention together with the women Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Um, the writer, Luke, of Acts, wanted us to know that when the Spirit was poured out, it wasn't a men's meeting. There were women there. And the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled. Sons and daughters were filled with the Holy Spirit Servants, both male and female, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. I've made my case to you today. Uh, I don't talk about this much because, as you can see, it's kind of like spiritual algebra. People actually have to think. You have to, to weigh this all out. You can't just say, oh, well, that Bible, the word says this. My bone deep conviction, and I think it's yours too, that Jesus was the perfect revelation of God's truth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The perfect revelation of God's truth. The apostles were the perfect application of God's truth. When I see the apostles doing something, my doctrine of inspiration of Scripture says it's right. So, ladies, I, I stand in this fellowship, and I say with a clear conscience, I, I, those of you who know me well enough know that when it comes to the inspiration of Scripture, when it comes to preaching the Word of God, I'm bulldogish. I won't move. If, if, if this is what the Word says... I don't care what it costs me. I do care what it costs me. But no matter what it costs me, I'm standing there. I'm going to. And I can tell you, I honestly believe if, you, if you're not lazy and you do the homework, you have to come away from the New Testament believing in female spiritual leadership. You have to believe that. I, I look at how Paul deals with women and how he relates to their giftedness. And I look at how the Bible just casually mentions their prophetic gift, which, man, it's hard to separate the idea of prophesying from preaching. If preaching is truly what it should be, it will be prophetic. So when he said they will prophesy, he said they're going to make these spirit-anointed proclamations who Jesus is. You guys need this. You, you really do need this. I know you, you know. I remember sitting in algebra class. The teacher says, you're going to need this. I go, yeah, right. Yeah. You are going to need this. Your world, your culture is going to come to you pretty quickly. And if, you, if you've ever kept any notes, you should keep these notes. 
They're going to come to you and say, oh, that old Bible is so out of touch. It says women should sit down and shut up. And you're going to say, does it really say that? Does it really say that? Let's have a Bible study here. Does it not say? Absolutely. Women, you should not be self-appointing yourself. You should not be usurping authority. You should not be cutting the legitimate chain of authority because when you do that, you cut the power of God from your life. But you've got to understand, surely, all these passages tell us that God believes in and calls and anoints female spiritual leadership. So my first point in the biblical woman is to say to the ladies, take the limitations off of your God. There's a whole lot of stuff he can do through you if you allow him to fill you with the Spirit and use you. My evangelical brothers and sisters have come up alongside of you and said, you're a woman. Sit down and shut up. That's not what the Bible really said, is it? You're a woman. And I don't know how accurate this is, but you're a woman and you might have a tendency to rebel. Watch it. Watch that. Watch that. You might have a tendency to cut off legitimate spiritual leadership because you think you've got a better plan, be careful of that because that will sever you from the flow of God's power in your life. But you have been qualified. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not already. And God can use you in spiritual leadership. Amen? I first came into the assembly. I know you guys need to get to the football game. First came into the assemblies of God. I didn't grow up in the assemblies of God. Uh, I came out of another denomination. First AG church that we pastored, there was a three-person board. There was a deputy sheriff and two ladies. And they're both names, both of their names was Pearl. Pearl one and Pearl two. I called them the Pearl of Great Price. Pearl Hastings was baptized by Charles Parham. I don't have time to tell you what that is. Pearl Usler. Those two pearls were such tremendous blessings to me. I was young, fresh out of college, and those women of God mentored me and taught me and challenged me because they were called of God. And they did a tremendous job. Some years ago, Sister Pearl Hastings passed away. I got word years later that she wanted me to come back and do her funeral. I remember a great privilege standing up there. And I said to the congregation that day, the greatest example of Christianity I have ever seen in my life is laying right here. 
the most perfect illustration of what a child of God should be is right here in my life. It's the best I've seen. So ladies, I, I begin this series today by defending my fellowship. My other evangelical brothers or sisters are throwing rocks at us at times saying, oh, you guys have compromised the word. I've showed you the word, right? I showed you why we believe what we believe. We didn't start believing it last year. We didn't start believing it eight years ago. When it became popular, we always believed it. We always taught it. You've always said, God can and does use female spiritual leadership. Amen? Stand with me, please. today that female oppression is something God is against. He's against it from top to bottom. The mind of God, every one of these women are his daughters and he's highly protective of them. He loves them more than you can imagine. Reject the lies of the modern feminist movement. Its very mission is to divide men and women, to make us hate each other, to make us fight. Accept God's word that we're all children of God. You may be a son and you may be a daughter, but you're loved equally in His sight. Father, I just ask you to help us, Lord. Our world wants to divide us along racial lines, along gender lines. It wants us to pit us against each other. But I'm asking you, Lord, that you will take us, join us together with cords that can't be broken. There's a reason you made a man and there's a reason you made a woman. And we should love and cherish that reason and honor it. And I ask you, Father, for these women who are hearing this message today, that you would help them take the limitations off of themselves and understand that you are God who can use them, who wants to use them. When you call them, Lord, I pray that they would not disqualify themselves because they're women. I pray that they would rise up in the faith and take their place and be counted among the leaders 
Father, bless our sisters in Jesus. And Lord, if there is anyone here, male or female, that doesn't know you as Savior, I ask you, give them the faith right now to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And so do it. anything today? No? All right. We'll try again next week. God bless. See you next week.